What is something you are looking forward to? Maybe a new job. Maybe that long-awaited holiday. Or maybe you're just looking forward to morning tea after the service. Last year, on August 30th, I got a phone call with great news to look forward to. I got a job in Davo. I was going to be a fully-fledged teacher. Now, this was good news. I had a promise locked in. I was given assurance that five months later, there was going to be a bunch of nine- and ten-year-old students waiting for me in the classroom. However, this promise was in the future. What was I supposed to do in between? Well, I had to prepare, didn't I? I bought a car, as I couldn't walk 500 kilometres to work. I found a house and a housemate. Thankfully, Rowan, who preached a couple of weeks ago, turned out to be a pretty good bloke. And I even raided my dad's wardrobe to look as much like a teacher as I could. (laughs) This is your example. (laughs) I was a teacher to be, so I had to prepare. My future was locked in, so I had to get ready. If we trust in Jesus, we have an even greater promise than a job in Dubbo, as hard as that is to believe. (laughs) That promise is eternal life with Jesus. But what are we supposed to do in between? What do we do now? Our Bible passage this morning gives us an answer. This morning we will discover what God wants us to do in the in-between. We will see that God desires holiness forever and holiness now. The word of God will challenge us to stand out as God's chosen people in holiness today. We will see how this impacts our sexual purity and it will show us that faithfully living out the daily grind of work and life can be one of the most loving things we can do. If you open up your outline, you can see that this passage is separated into two clear parts. The first part, from chapter 3, 11 to 13, we learn of the Christian hope of holiness forever. In the second part, from chapter 4, 1 to 12, we see that the promise of holiness forever means holiness now. So we're going to get right into our first point. Holiness forever, from chapter 3, 11 to 13. Our passage tonight starts with a prayer. Paul has just heard that the church he started in Thessalonica in Greece is going well. He hears from his fellow missionary, Timothy, that they are trusting in Jesus and turning from sin. So he prays that they might keep going with their future promise in mind. Let's read, starting at verse 12 of chapter 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The first thing that strikes me in this prayer is what Paul expects God to do for the Thessalonians. Each verse starts with, May our God, may the Lord, may he. Paul prays in a way that recognises that God is the means and the way in which any of these things can happen. But what are these things? What will God do for the Thessalonians. What is God's desire for their future? 
It's right there in verse 12 and 13. Love and holiness. Firstly, love. How are the Thessalonians to love? Let's read. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow. This love originates from God and flows from the people of God. We heard a few weeks ago in chapter 1 of Thessalonians that the love of the Thessalonians is ringing out. Paul encourages them and us that by the power of Jesus, our love would increase and overflow. And who are we to love? Well, it's right there again, for each other and for everyone else. Paul's prayer is that we love each other, our Christian brothers and sisters, and everyone else, unbelievers in our community. This God-empowered love should overflow not just within the church, but outside the church. Churches changed by Jesus have overflowing love that makes people look twice. Have any of you ever had a veggie garden or a fruit tree? That's just, have you had one that's just exploded with fruit? This year, myself and my housemate Rowan have been greatly blessed by the overflow of others' veggie gardens. <laughs> we have received pumpkins for soup, lettuce for sandwiches, and fruit for snacks. We have been particularly thankful as our veggie garden is not quite at the point of overflowing just yet. When veggie gardens overflow, food is shared far and wide. In the same way, God's desire is that his church would explode and overflow with love. The second thing Paul prays for the Thessalonians and for Christians is holiness. How are we to be holy? Paul's prayer is that we might be holy on the last day when Jesus returns. The concept of holiness comes up several times in our passage today. So we're going to stop a moment and clarify what exactly it means. In this section, holiness simply means to be set apart. And as Al explained to the kids before, the best way to explain this is with a toothbrush. My toothbrush at home is holy to me. My toothbrush is set apart for me. It is my special possession. My housemate and I, we share a bunch of things, but my toothbrush is mine alone. (laughs) Because of what Jesus did, we are declared as if we're God's special toothbrush, his special possession, set apart for him alone to stand on that final day when Jesus comes back. God desires us to have holiness forever, to be marked as God's special possession for eternity. On the last day, we will stand before God completely holy, without any blemish, sin or failure, set apart as God's chosen ones, But how did this promise of holiness forever come about? How can a holy, perfect God dwell with us and unholy people? Well, many of you know, and what a great joy. But just to remind us, the promise came about because Jesus came into the world. He saw our mess, he saw our sin, he saw our failures. He came down and joined us in the muck. He lived a perfect life, yet was crucified on a Roman cross and took the death and punishment we deserved. He took our place. He swapped with us. But Jesus also rose. 
And with this brought the hope of eternal life, eternal holiness with God. So now we can be holy to God on that last day because God will see Jesus' perfection instead of our imperfection. This passage reminds us that the God of the universe has made a promise for our future. In Jesus, we will stand holy and blameless, overflowing with love before God. For eternity, we will have holiness forever. I don't know about you, but for me, this is often a hard truth to believe. I always feel the pull of sin and temptation in my life, and life without sin seems far off. But this passage, this prayer shares that that is my future. And if you're a Christian, that is your future. Holiness forever. But what do we do now? We might have 10, 20, 50, 100 years left of life for some of the kids. How are we to spend it? If we trust in Jesus, we have the promise of eternity. But what do I do today? And that brings us to the second point on our outline holiness now we're going to be looking at chapter 4 verse 1 to 12 but starting in verse 1 and 2 verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4 sets the scene and paul encourages a small church he started up to keep going let's read verse 1 brothers and sisters we instructed you how to live in order to please god as in fact you are living Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now as a primary school teacher, one of my greatest challenges and joys is getting students to remember what I have taught them. Paul is thankful that the church he instructed remembers what he taught them. They are living in response to what he told them, even though he was there for just three or four weeks. But Paul, like any good teacher, doesn't take any chances. He reminds them again what he taught them. And in the next part of 1 Thessalonians chapter verse 4, we find out exactly what Paul told them then and exactly what God wants them to do and us to do today. And that brings us to our second point, point B, God desires holiness in our purity now. And we're going to be looking at verse 3 to 8. Starting in verse 3, let's read. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. The first instruction that Paul gives is a reminder that God's will for our lives is sanctification. Sanctification here means to live out the set-apart life. Like my toothbrush is set apart for me, God desires us to live in a way that's getting ready for our promised future of forever holiness. He desires that his special, set-apart people start living with Jesus as king of their lives today. God's people will be sanctified, will be holy on that last day. So it makes sense that we stand out as different in our lives now. As we go through this section, we'll see three clear ways Christians will stand out in as holy in the area of sexual purity. Point one, Christians will stand out as holy in the way we use our bodies. Starting at three again. 
It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. God's desire is that we stand out from the world when it comes to purity. It is God's desire that we avoid sexual immorality. Paul says it plain as day. Sexual immorality here covers any sexual thoughts or actions outside the confines of marriage and says that that's not what Christians do. But maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for many years and this area of purity is no longer a big issue for you. Maybe you feel like this is more of an issue for younger people. When I hear that, I rejoice. I rejoice that God has grown many of you into his likeness over your many years as a Christian. In the following section, we read of the Thessalonians, who, like you, were going well in the area of purity. But Paul encourages them, and us, to do so all the more. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, we saw that the Thessalonians had heard Paul's instructions and obeyed them. Verse 1, as in fact you are living. It shows us that the Thessalonians heard Paul's command to avoid sexual immorality and followed it. We too should continue to flee from sexual immorality. But when we run from sin and temptation, when it does arise, we need somewhere to go. In verse 4, we get an alternative. That is to control your bodies in a way that is holy and honourable, that is set apart, that stands out. Let our thoughts and actions turn to what is good. The second point. Christians will stand out as those who know God. Let's read from verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. God's desire is that we stand out as those who know God. This was written in the first century AD, but it could have been written in the 21st century. Thessalonica was a city which had no regard for God. And Australian culture on the whole is moving further away from a Christian morality as each year passes. Many of my unbelieving friends and family encourage and embrace this kind of sexual immorality. But here, Paul calls this culture out. It is not harmless. He says in verse 5 and 6 that there is consequences to passionate lust. Says in verse 6 that it wrongs and takes advantages of takes advantage of a brother or sister. God does, not, God does not ignore this behavior. But verse 5 and 6 paints a picture of those who don't know God. As Christians who trust in Jesus as King, we do know God. And in Christ, we will stand out as those who know God. The third point is that we will stand out in obedience. Verse 7, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. If you missed everything I said in that section, zoom in, this sums it up. God's people have a promised future of forever holiness. And this means holiness now. It means in the area of purity, we can stand out in obedience. It means we can uh, avoid sexual immorality. It means when we hear God's command, we can do it. And we can do this because we have a God who gives us the Holy Spirit. If we reject this command, like the world, many of the people in our society do, we're not rejecting Paul, but God himself. Now, have any of you seen Christian bumper stickers on the back of cars? I didn't check the car park before I came, and maybe you're one of those brave people that drives around with a Christian bumper sticker. Now, I'm not quite sure that anyone here, myself included, is a good enough driver to have a Christian bumper sticker (laughs) on the back of your car. But it does affect how we drive, doesn't it? Hopefully we use our horn just a little bit less. Maybe we keep under that speed limit a bit more if I've got a Christian sticker on the back. Now imagine you had a sticker on your forehead that said, holy to God. How would that impact how you live your life? In this section, we've seen that God's people stand out in the way they control their bodies, uh, stand out as those who know God. But we don't just have a, we don't need a sticker for our forehead. That is our status. That is who we are as Christians. We are holy to God. So how will that impact how we live our lives? But maybe you've heard all this and you don't feel like you're standing out in purity. Maybe like me, over your life and over your Christian walk, there's been times where you've stumbled in this area. If you are here today, I believe we just fit into two categories. The first category is someone actively in this sin. If you are someone that unrepentantly commits sexual sin and you have no plans to stop, God is calling you out. The Bible is saying stop. God's people avoid this. If this is you, my advice to you is when you get home or throughout the week, let someone know. Let your spouse, let a Christian friend know. Because there is no failure beyond God's mercy in Jesus. He has already paid the punishment owed for that sin. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're doing well in this area. And that brings us to our second category. The second category is someone fighting against this sin. All of us, in different ways and to different extents, have stumbled in this area over our life. All of us need to keep fighting this temptation, whether it be really clear and big or in small little ways. The encouragement for us in this passage is to keep going, keep fighting, keep doing this more and more. So we've just learnt that God desires that we stand out in purity. In the next verses, we will see that God challenges us to stand out in our daily lives. And that brings us to our point C. God desires holiness now in our daily lives. We're going to be looking at verse 9 to 12. Let's read. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's God's family throughout Macedonia. 
Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul starts off by expressing his joy that the Thessalonians are living out the set-apart love, life of love to each other. He begins in verse 9 by stating, About your love we do not need to write to you. But as we saw in verse 1 and 2, Paul loves a good reminder. He urges them to love more and more. The Thessalonians' love is truly overflowing and exploding throughout the region. But what does that love look like? If you're anything like me, when you hear passages in the Bible that say love one another, you want, it, can, it can feel so ambiguous and vague. What does that mean? Where do we start? Thankfully, Paul gives the Thessalonians some specific application, which will provide some principles for what loving others in Dubbo looks like. Let's read verse 11 and 12. 11. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that in your daily life you may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. How are Christians to live out this life of love? Verse 11. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. What does this mean? Are all the accountants and bankers in the room supposed to hand in their resignation tomorrow and take up a job on a building site so they can use their hands? No, I don't think so. To lead a quiet life, quiet and hardworking life, is what I see many of you doing. You are working hard each day in whatever circumstance God has put you. You are not going around being busybodies and causing drama and issues, uh, but you are busy at work loving each other. This passage encourages us that even in the mundane aspects of life, we can stand out as God's set-apart people. As Christians, we ought not to be lazy and idle. And if that's you, this is a challenge to you. We are to use the gifts God has given us to make a living, to serve others. The unbelieving world is looking in. And our next verses show what impact this kind of life can do. Verse 12 gives us two impacts. The first, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Living out as God's holy, set-apart people in the workplace, in our homes, in our sporting teams and clubs. It wins the respect of outsiders. Living out love in our daily life wins the respect of those who don't know God. And from the time I've been at this church, this is what I see is happening. The fact that over 20 people are coming to a Christianity Explored course because of the invites of so many people across DPC shows that our church is one that lives out a life of love in the community so that when we ask that question to come along, they do so willingly, wanting to find out more. The second way it impacts is that so we will not be dependent on anyone, verse 12. A quiet, hard-working life loves others. It means that you're not a drain on others. Last year... I was a dependent 23-year-old living at my parents' place whilst I was at uni. Now, this was a great gift and blessing from my parents, but if I'd stayed maybe two or three more years, maybe it wouldn't be as loving. (laughs) 
This year, it was time to move on. And this passage shows us that there is something good in working for your living, not simply getting others to pay your way. God desires holiness now in our daily lives. So what have we learnt tonight? We have learnt that God desires holiness forever. He desires that in Jesus we will stand holy and overflowing with love on the last day. We've also learnt that God desires holiness now. He desires that we keep going in standing out as God's holy, set-apart people in our purity and in our daily lives. When I got a job offer in August last year, I prepared. I rented a place, I bought a car, borrowed some clothes and even made labels for my students' desks. But imagine I hadn't. Imagine it was January 29th, my first day of work, and I was sitting out in the surf at 10 o'clock in Kiama and realised, oh no, I was supposed to start work in Dubbo today. I would have wasted five months I had to get used to being a teacher. God has given us the great promise of holiness forever through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He has shown us what our future will look like. In chapter 4, we learn exactly what God wants us to do now. He wants us to stand out as holy in purity and in daily living. Paul recognises that the Thessalonians are doing a great job. And I want to acknowledge that this church is doing a great job at loving and living out a godly life. But let's keep going. The refrain more and more comes up twice in this passage. And that's our challenge this week. More and more, more and more. Stand up as God's holy, set apart people, and do this more and more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we can stand holy before you because Jesus lived a perfect life and died in our place so that we could have a relationship with you. Father, let our confidence in eternity grow more and more. Let us stand up today in purity more and more. Let us love in our daily lives more and more. We pray all this knowing that you hear us and love us. Amen.